Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for tuning in to another edition of Oddcast, the podcast, or World Empowered Dialogues. Uh, here at a World Empowered, we have a philanthropic vision. We have a vision of the world where all women, men, and children are empowered. Empowered to speak their truth, empowered to be themselves, empowered to provide for their needs and protect and heal the environment. Every week we bring, bring in inspiring guests and thought leaders, founders of nonprofits around the globe, uh, to share a message of hope and to inoculate people with the belief that they can make a difference. To share their struggles of their stories of struggle and trauma and where they've come from and what they've decided to create and contribute to the world. <laughs> We're adults here having adult conversations, so often there's adult language involved, but we want to thank you for being a part of this and for sharing the message and for tuning in. So get ready for another inspiring conversation with another thought, le- thought leader and get ready to get odd. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, BC here, coming to you with another episode of Oddcast the Podcast. Today, I get to sit down with my dear friend, Robin McIntyre. We've known each other for what, 12, 13, 14-ish I kind of lose track like of that. Yep. been a while. A long time. We've known each other. I'm really excited for the conversation that we're going to share. Uh, Robin has extreme experience in the area of transformation, both personal, physical, and uh, emotional. And what we have to share is going to make a difference for somebody today, I promise you. Um, Before we get into that conversation, I do want to say we have a huge event coming up for A World Empowered. I thank you for listening and sharing and being a part of what we do here. Um, Our event is going to be July 10th at Sylvandale Guest Ranch. We have the amazing painter Amanda Faubus is going to be doing a painting live from stage that's going to be up for bid. While the Juilliard trained uh, cellist James Russick Smith is going to be playing the cello. We have a comedian Dave Carpenter that's going to be making an all of us bust a gut laughing. We also have a, a, a great magic show with Craynork the Magician. We're going to have axe throwing. It's going to be catered by Main Street Catering out of Windsor. It's going to be a phenomenal event. And because of uh, your attendance at this event, we're going to have the opportunity to write grants to Think Humanity, who digs wells and provides malaria nets to families in Uganda, as well as Hearts and Horses and a veterans program that they have established that's going to help keep that going. So being a part of this event and coming to support a world empowered at our um, awe-inspired evening and fundraiser is going to be a great opportunity. It's going to be incredibly fun, and I want to invite everybody there. I would like to introduce my friend, Robin McIntyre. Like I said before, a lot of experience personally with all kinds of different transformation in the physical realm uh, as a trainer and physical coach, right? Mm -hmm. And now in the emotional mental side of things and helping people achieve their dreams, um, why don't you introduce yourself and tell the audience about you and your background and how you got to be where you are, Robin? Oh, it's a loaded question. <laughs> Thank you, Brian. I feel like I need to look at you, but probably here's I best. Know, yeah. Okay. Should set we'll the share. camera up right, right? here. We'll share. Okay. Uh, first of all, thank you for having me. This my is, pleasure. It's, it's, it's very fun. Anytime I can get um, my lessons, my mistakes, anything I've learned from my own life, anytime I get to share it, it's, it's really a treat. So thank you. 
Uh, as Brian said, I have been in and out of the fitness industry, mostly in for almost 40 years. And in 2020, I got to pivot into more of the emotional mental space. Uh, Brian and I have done a lot of personal development over the years, so you get this. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that's basically how we met and our mentor, Michelle Barnes, uh, teaching us how to be the best versions of us. Yeah. And I, that's why I'm so excited for what we're about to share. No, Carry it's, on. It's loaded. Uh, so I will say that when we were in multi-level marketing together, I got a I just got hooked. Not I had already piddled in personal development, but I got really hooked. Always loved learning, uh, learning about the physical parts uh, for my clients to become a better personal trainer. That was always easy because I love to learn, but the mental and, and emotional side of things um, is huge. And I started in, uh, in 81, I started, I went up to uh, Greeley from Denver. I was raised in Denver, Aurora and went up to Greeley to go to UNC. And at that time, I was on the tail end of an eating disorder, mm. um, had bulimia, and I, I was scared. It was very much a secret, which I will talk more about the shame piece. Uh, I think that's why I have so much compassion for people, one of the reasons. So when I went up there to school, I was very, I just was desperate to get better. And it was so, it was so hard because nobody, well, I say nobody knew. It's really embarrassing years later when you find out. How many people yeah, actually like, knew? Like, yeah. oh, that wasn't a secret? <laughs> I, I knew you went in the bathroom and threw up your food, mm. Robin. It was, oh, so embarrassing, right? Uh, so long story short, I started a six-week exercise program at a place called, this is going to date me, but okay, Gloria Stevens Figure Salon. Brian, we were leg warmers, tights, and leotards. <laughs> Was it taught by uh, Gene Simmons? Uh, not Gene Simmons. Uh, uh, Richard, uh, Richard Simmons. No. Wrong. Wrong. But we wore Simmons. the same the same outfits, kind of, <laughs> right? right? Uh, and it was all women. And I, I've been in an all women atmosphere for a very long time. I say that I coach with women. I've coached a few men, but it's I've just always uh, worked with women. Uh, my heart goes out to all people that are hurting or that want to change or that are struggling with something but I just tend to draw the women, I guess. Honestly, it seems from what I've witnessed that women gravitate more and are more open to the healing and the growth than most men out there. I think uh, Obviously, I don't want to generalize, but generally speaking, from what I've witnessed, they're more open to the personal growth, to the healing, to the therapy, to counseling, things like that. And I think a lot of us men have a really tough time um, admitting that we need to be better, not just that we can be better, but yeah. admitting to ourselves and others that, Hey, there's a better version of me out there. And then taking the steps to do it requires a huge release of ego and a level of humility that is challenging and it's not socially acceptable. So it's not, I was just going to say, it's very much, uh, it's just been for so many years. Oh, it's a weakness to get help. It's a weakness to need need help. It's a weakness to admit that something's not right. And now I just believe so much that owning it is just leads to so much freedom, so much freedom. So when did you shift from your personal trainer business to specifically working on the mindset of coaching? And how did that happen? Because I'm sure you witnessed a lot of personal training development. Like when you're working with a client in the personal training 
arena where they would lose a bunch of weight and they would get that body that they've always wanted for. And then six months later, a year later, you run into them and you're like, Oh, I'm so glad you brought that up, Brian, because, uh, there, that is the key right there. And that's what's been so frustrating. And that's what made me say, I am burning the boats. Remember Tony Robbins says, burn the boats. If you're serious about changing something, let go of what makes you comfortable. Cortez rule of management, baby. <laughs> burn the ships. Burn it. So when my personal training um, certificate came up to renew in 2020, I, I was leaning in for a long time going, I just, I know I need to let this go if this other thing is going to blossom. And so I did that. It was just good timing because of COVID. Mm. Uh, when we built our house 18 years ago, we we uh, built a space in our home for my personal training. So we had a little, a nice sized gym in there. And that was the hardest part working with the women is they they loved coming in. And, and here here's a common thing. Robin, just kick my butt. I ate so much pizza or they were just so mad and not they, everybody, but a general thing is just, hey, I deserve this. Kick I deserve my punishment. Yes, yes, yes. My behavior warrants punishment. Yes, and it's and it's very common. I'm not I'm not knocking anybody because that's how that's where I came from. Oh yeah, totally where I came from. Um, so I went from the eating disorder bulimia. Then I was working at this place where we were understaffed, so I exercised so much. And then I went, oh my gosh, I can eat whatever I want. So that you can go overboard that way too. So there is an exercise bulimia, believe it or not. It's the same concept as go purge whatever you did, however you're purging it. So to find a healthy balance is really challenging for someone that's been through that. But what I found is so many women, you know, they say you attract who you are. Yes. So I think a lot of my clients over the years were women that same, same, some of the same things, not that they were disordered eaters, but perfection comes in so much that when we're trying to do the perfection piece, it's, um, it's all or nothing, all or nothing, big one. And that's one of the reasons I teach just keep showing up, do hmm. baby steps, just keep showing up. So that might mean, you know what, I, I, I'm going to go to the gym. And my body hurts today. So if all I do is walk for 10 minutes, my goal today is just to show up for myself, not to punish myself, not to undo anything, but just follow and and go with my self promises. Okay. So it's not all or nothing. I'm going way off into a little rabbit hole here. I love it. Bring me keep, back. Keep, no, bring, bring me you're, back. you're on a good track and this is important for people to hear. So keep running with the rabbit. So how I pivoted, I had been wanting to for a long time. I had been studying coaching and I, I just, anytime we love something, we're going to just get to know all, as much about it as we can. And I love studying my own behavior. That's how I did not get professional help from bulimia. Not recommended. <laughs> Don't go the long way. I, I went the long way. And um, so this, the, the self-development, all that stuff, it's been over years. So the behavior, even though I handled the behavior, uh, the, there was so much so much self-acceptance to still happen. And that's where I, I did get some good therapy uh, years later. And that was more about when my husband and I were going through a rough patch. And okay. and I 
I was in a place where I'm like, I don't really like myself right now because I'm so angry. Mm. And you know, Mark, he's a great guy. Yeah. He is a great guy. Genuine sweetheart. Yeah. So fantastic. And I was in a place where, you know, I wasn't happy with some of my own stuff. So his stuff was magnified because then I didn't have to look all of it on. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Gotcha. So um, in the therapy, even though it was years later, it was interesting to find out my therapist kind of nailed me on the perfection piece. And that's when I understood even more about not just me and where I had been with my eating disorder, but also some of my clients and how it can shut us down. If we, if we have a little failure, we can just write it off as a big failure and, and internalize it. And then we're this bad person. And then it just snowballs. Catastrophize right? it. it and, totally. Yeah. And, you know, we're talking about all the personal development and the things that we spent years on uh, through network marketing. And they talk about you can't change the behavior if you don't change the paradigm. So true. There, you know, that, so that's it, Brian. It's like they talk about <laughs> yes. 90 something percent of all Powerball lottery winners are broke within three to five years. And why is that? they never learned how to do the money. They never the identified themselves the as a wealthy person. So they continue to perpetuate the behavior of somebody who was poor. That is such and if a somebody great identifies as overweight, then they will continue to perpetuate that behavior. And even if they work really hard and they get the six pack, six pack and they lose all the weight and they feel good about themselves eventually, like it's Darren so Hardy talks about, you know, the water seeks equilibrium yeah. oh, I love and that. sooner or later they will go back to the same behaviors and the same patterns mm-hmm. if they don't change the paradigm and the thought process. So carry on. That's on Brian, that, and that is because- what it is because people, it, I honestly, to be honest, I've had a hard time with my marketing because first of all, people know me as Robin, the, the, personal, the, the trainer. personal trainer. And even though we, yes, we coached on some mental pieces, it, I, I, when I'm with somebody, I'm focusing on whatever we're doing. So in the physical usually. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that, that part was trickier to get my hands on them outside of sessions to do this kind of thing. And convince them yeah. that it was necessary. Yeah. How did you go about that? Let's, um, let's start you know, there. Like- it, it, they have to be willing to go there. Mm. And so I had a lot to learn too about where, and this, still goes. Mm. This still is the truth that if someone doesn't want to hear it, I don't give unsolicited advice. I don't. Yeah. I, sometimes it's really hard. <laughs> <laughs> yes, please. Uh, especially if someone's struggling and their language tells you, you know, this, uh, the language says so much. Well, I can't even eat a piece of cake. I gain five pounds or I don't have any willpower or we have big bones in my family. This is just the way it is. But when you're talking about um, the paradigm and people's thought process, that is what I absolutely love when I get a willing client is asking the right questions where they can see that their beliefs about themselves and how they show up, they, they find, they get it, how it's, it all comes together. If you see yourself as an eater, someone that has no control, has no willpower, um, again, all the other things it's in my family. This is just what I know it. There's, there's just, it just can't happen. And There's, like you said, the motivation can work for a little while, but after a while, it it just doesn't. It's who do you want to be? How do you want to show up? Do you want to play a game? Ooh, yeah. Let's role play. Okay. Pretend I'm an obstinate client and you're trying, <laughs> I'm coming to you because I miss my six pack. Okay. There was a time where I looked in the mirror and I felt good about myself and I missed that six pack and I feel weak and I feel inept as a man or woman and your job your goal is to convince me that it's not just 
out here, right? that it starts here. So how would that conversation go? I would want to start with, now, I'm going to preface this with saying, I don't want to keep anybody in the past for too long. Right. I think it's a tool. We need to look at the lessons and then bring forward and create a new story. Okay. So what I do in, and this is in my, in my mind body do over course. One of the first things in the first module is tell me about your eating story. And as you are explaining, and in this case, they're writing in their journals, as you're telling me what your story looks like, I'm hearing the language and listen. Okay. So Brian, tell me your story and you can, you can make it about, you can be an anonymous person that has no idea how their language affects acting <laughs> one one well um i'm gonna keep this real because i don't act well me neither <laughs> so my whole life people have been telling me that i'm too small i'm too skinny and that makes me feel in, inadequate. It makes me feel emasculated. It makes me feel like I'm less of a man. And no matter what I do, no matter how much I work out, no matter how much I eat, I just can't. And I know this is like a lot of people are cringing, like you little asshole. <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> Yeah, I just can't we don't want to hear weight. about how I, you can eat whatever you I, want. <laughs> I can hear the audience like, get this guy off of here. He's a dick. Uh, <laughs> yes, this is an Rub adult podcast, <laughs> so we use adult language. I hope everybody is an adult and can handle that. Um, but oh, honestly, tell me I could. But run. honestly, I've been told since I was a kid, like I need to eat more, and you're too small, and you're too skinny. And it's always made me feel awful about myself. When I look in the mirror, I feel physically weak and I feel less than, and it doesn't matter what I do. Like there were times where I was working out four or five times a week. There were times where I'd spend, I don't know, 30 hours a week in the gym and I would eat 5,000, 6,000 calories mm -hmm. a day. Like I was trying to bulk up so I could be more of a man and it never worked. It doesn't like nothing I do works. So do you still believe all the thoughts you just told me? Yeah, it's the truth. Okay. That's another one. When we, when we believe something, we see it as totally the truth. Now, whatever you've tried as far as eating and working out and done all the things, I can't say it wasn't there. You know what you have and haven't done. And Should there, have hired and there, you back then. <laughs> and, there, and there might be some truth to how big you can get, right? Okay. That could be a fact. So if let's say, Brian, that let's say, let's say it could be proven in a court of law that you can't get any bigger. Okay. What, if, if that is a fact, what do you, what is your thought about that right now here today? That I'll always be inadequate, that somebody always, some other person will always be better than me. Some other man will always be more attractive and stronger and able to take care of himself better and whatever. Okay. So let's take one thought, one of those. Give, okay. me, give me one. What's the biggest, what's the strongest for you? I'll you said inadequate. inadequate. Okay. Um, and when you think that, give me one, a one word feeling, the strongest feeling. When you think that, what do you feel? Powerless. Okay, so when you feel powerless because you think this thought, 
what kind what what kind of things what kind of action do you take or not take sometimes i'll go work out sometimes i'll go to the heavy bag and punch sometimes i'll go and eat or have a drink or something like that it just depends on so you the still day. try with that thought it's you still try you mm -hmm. keep coming back and trying yeah how does it go <laughs> poorly do you give up pretty quick it's a game of tug of war with my mind like I've tried affirmations, I've tried EMDR, you name it. Like there's always this tug of war, push pull thing. I convince myself of one thing, but over here there's that little cognitive dissonance mm -hmm. that's always mm -hmm. tugging on the rope, pulling it back to that other paradigm. This is a great example. And I know what, I think you're helping me, <laughs> but doesn't that help you understand why you give up? How so? What do you mean? Because of the push pull and the, oh, and the fact yeah. that you believe no matter what I do, nothing is going to change it. Yeah. And it's exhausting that tug of war, that perpetual tug. Of, it's literally a tug of war and it's perpetual. It's always going on. And sooner or later, the positive side, the, the little one that's trying to convince me that it, it is possible and you're good enough as you are and blah, blah, blah. That little dude gets tired. This person over here seems tireless like it, it just has infinite energy like the energizer bunny just keep going uh, christy talks about the itty bitty shitty committee yeah that that little itty bitty <laughs> shitty committee is always on it's the a shoulder. big shitty committee right yeah, sometimes depending on on the issue yeah. but yeah that little thing seems tireless and it's always running and this positive person on this shoulder gets flipping tired sometimes and sometimes he's like i can't tug today and then this one wins so if you were to work out for other reasons other than getting bigger could you could that be good enough but i don't like working out okay so tell me some other reasons to work out there are some <laughs> the only reason to work Smart out is ass. so that you could be bigger and be more <laughs> what's the word virulent oh are uh you're talking veiny yeah, no. just oh. stronger and yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll give you some. Do you want some reasons? I would love okay, a I'm gonna share reason these other with you than all. just punishment and mm -hmm. mas mm -hmm. uh, masochism. Okay. <laughs> so, okay. So, <laughs> should we pause? <laughs> Can we? Uh, oh, yeah. No, so. no. This is live. Is this live? It's not live, but we are recording. <laughs> okay. I just don't want to breathe. Like. <laughs> okay, so reasons to work out, Brian. Uh, and, and these, I've had to make these important to myself many different stages in my life, okay? Because when I started, it was still to look good. And right. I would be lying if I said it didn't still matter to me, that I, it does motivate me to go, okay, you know, the age is creeping up, skin's getting a little looser. It's a lot harder to fight the age thing, right? But what I've, what I have really gotten into in the last, bunch of years, especially, you know, I had a, a disc replacement in my neck. Mm -hmm. um, I've had some shoulder injuries. I've had some stuff that keeps me frustrated that I can't do what I want in this body. So the older we get, the more important our bone health is. So when you're using resistance, any kind of resistance training, it's going to help make your bones stronger. Okay. Any weight bearing exercise, um, energy alone. Um, exercise is one of the biggest prescriptions for depression. It, it's it's crazy, but it's the endorphins and everything else. But, Makes sense. But I want to tell you this. Something that has become super important to me 
and I have different examples at different times in my life, but when we make self promises and we don't keep them, right. We just start losing faith in that we are going to show up for ourselves. So what I like to share with people about exercise is if we want to be proactive with our health for the rest of our life, we need to find some way to move that we can enjoy. Now, it doesn't have to go be pumping weights at the gym if you don't want it to be. I do play hockey. Oh, see? Sort of. <laughs> <clears throat> I played hockey until I realized that I was playing hockey with a, a torn meniscus for two months. Mm. And now I'm trying to get my knee to recover from that. And, but, and don't you think, too, every time we, we're working through a new, new injury, it's another, well, crap. You yeah. know, now what? You know? And it, we want to give up. Yeah, especially because, I mean, we went 18 months not playing hockey with COVID. Yes. And we finally got back and we're, I had just started the league. And next thing you know, ah, my knee hurts. Okay, and I'll push through it. I'll push through it. I'll push yeah. through it. For two months, I was playing. That's this dude over here, right? Yeah. <laughs> Stop being weak. Stop being a yes, pussy. Force, force. Yeah, you can tough it out. Be yeah. a man. And so I pushed through it. And next thing you know, I can barely even walk, let alone play hockey. And I go in and they're like, yeah, you have a torn meniscus. We don't think you need surgery yet, but it definitely can't be playing hockey yeah. right now. That so, lateral movement is. Yeah. Mm. A lot of torsion. A lot of. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I even tell people. If you, if you haven't been doing anything or, you're, or you believe you don't like to exercise, just start with walking and let it be good enough. You know, that's the other thing. We, put, we, we think it has to be up here or not at all. Again, all or nothing. Um, and when we just, I, this is, these are two questions I ask my women. Who do you want to be as an eater? And who do you want to be as an exerciser? Hmm. So a lot of women say, well, they don't think about being strong. I think about being strong now. Right. I've got a grandbaby that rocks and rolls all the right. time. Like I gotta, I, I want gotta be to be able up. to keep up. I do. I want to be the fun grandma. Right. right? I want to keep up. So, um, but the, the whole exercise and Brian, here's something you can do. Okay. okay. Listen up y'all. So this is, <laughs> this is what I've told my women this. If you have a hard time exercising, go sit your butt on a bench in a busy place, the airport, the, the mall, sit and watch people try to get around. And I do not mean this in a judgmental mean way. Even Mark, you know, Mark, even Mark mm -hmm. will say, Oh, honey, his, his hip flexors are really tight. Huh? His back must hurt. <laughs> so, he learned all this through osmosis. Yes. But posturally you can look at people and go, wow, they're they're They've got muscles that are turned our butts get turned off. They're lazy. And then everything goes to the low back. Right. So there's, if you look around with that in mind, going, okay, let's go see how many people are walking without problems. And then you look at the ages of a lot of them. They're not all old people. Right. And I think that's really helpful <laughs> to just go do, how do I want to show up? Not to be afraid of being like that. I think that, I think that we've talked about the pain uh, pleasure principle a lot with what pulls you. Um, what are you more afraid of? What are you, what can pull you that's pleasurable? What can push you because you don't want to be in this kind of pain, either emotionally or physically or whatever. So I have a fear and I don't, I don't listen to it much because I, I just don't want to live from that place, but I, I do not want to be shut down by my body. Well, it's really hard to build and attract anything especially when you're talking about a metaphysical state, like the law of attraction and manifestation, it's really hard to build or attract anything from, from a state of fear. Mm -hmm. But we also know psychologically that 
people are more motivated by the threat of fear than the promise mm -hmm. of a reward. So it's so true. That fear of, oh my God, if I don't do something about this situation, and it's not just physical, like it could be a relationship, it could be a job, it could be quitting smoking, quitting anything. Like I've talked about when I speak on addiction and suicide prevention and things like that, it's really easy to quit anything. If you can make the, the pain of quitting less painful than the alternative, mm -hmm. like, so if, for example, the alternative of not quitting that behavior, whether it's sex addiction, gambling, alcoholism, smoking, eating, working out, whatever, if you can make the pain of not doing that more painful than the act of quitting, mm -hmm. then you can quit anything. If you can get a really I good like that, vision. Yeah. And like watching a movie of your life in fast forward and get a really good picture of what happens if you don't quit that behavior, then it's really easy to quit anything. For a lot of the people in my life, especially the ones closest to me, they know that there was a period of time where I was addicted to methamphetamine. And that's how I arrived at this understanding. I was addicted to meth and I never identified myself as a meth addict but I got a really good picture of where my life went mm -hmm. and how short that was going to be if I didn't stop that behavior immediately. Like a blast. Like, Is this your motorcycle accident? It was actually after the motorcycle mm -hmm. accident. So that's a whole long story. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until after my motorcycle accident that I started do, doing the really stupid shit. <laughs> uh, but honestly, in like you watch all of these movies like Scrooge or whatever and the ghost of Christmas future comes and they show you a vision of what your life looks mm -hmm. like if you don't do that thing. That's what happened to me sitting on a park bench one day. Oh, yes, yes, yes. And I'm sitting there and I got a like a blast from Scrooge and I get a vision of where my life goes if I don't alter that behavior. And that's how I, I arrived at the conclusion. Like you can quit any behavior. Mm -hmm if you can make the pain of the alternative more painful than the act. Um, the association is everything. So how does that play into how you work with your clients or what do you do differently when you're changing paradigms and, and focusing on the thought processes that has led a person to where they are? Again, who do you want to be as an eater more pulls you. Mm -hmm. um, so our focus isn't on who do you not want to, you don't want to be not this. avoidant behaviors, mm -hmm. right? but I see myself as this. And the more we see ourselves as that, the more mm -hmm. we can start believing it. I also tell people, you know, if you have sat on the couch and not exercised and, you know, eaten pretty freely for a long time, your brain's not going to affirmations, right? I'm going to have six pack abs in three months. Your brain's right. going to call bullshit right away. Right? Okay. So, no, you're not. <laughs> right. I mean, it's, it's right. brutal. So to find some thoughts that are just a little bit better. And a lot of this, I'll be honest, I've studied a lot of stuff at the life coach school. I did not mm -hmm. certify through them, but I love the whole model that they use, which is what we went through basically, mm -hmm. what you're feeling, what the thought, the feeling, the action, the results, right? right? And so coming up with just seeing yourself different, it's like it's like what you say. And so I, I always say that I, I hold a vision for my clients. I believe in them until they do. And I don't, I don't give false compliments. I don't, I don't do rah-rah if it's not coming from my heart. Right. Uh, what I like to do is point out to these women, what are you doing right? And they're actually shocked if I, it, so we do a lot of journaling. Um, it's kind of like, uh, it's so easy for, for us to beat ourselves up when we're, we, we don't hit the mark or we, we just don't see our wins. So we have to start with the wins all the time. What'd you have? What was great this week? 
What and, are you proud of? What's one thing that you right, feel like you did well? Right. And start mm -hmm. shifting how they see themselves. That's all of it is how do you see yourself? Because that is how you're going to show up. And that's how we know. That's how the behaviors are going to be. So back to your vision in the long term. Tony Robbins, the rocking chair moment. Okay. And, and this might have mm -hmm. come from Michelle. I'm not sure. Did it? I don't remember. <laughs> we'll have to ask her. We'll, yeah. get, we'll get Michelle on here next yeah. time. Uh, but so mine is mine is fear driven. So the one feeling when I ask clients, what is the what is the biggest feeling that you're afraid to feel? Because that's usually what all of our addictions are. We're trying to push something away, right? We don't want to be totally present because then we got to feel it. Yep. So what is the one feeling that you're the most afraid of? And I, I've asked myself this and I said, well, it must be regret. Because my vision that, that motivates me, and, and I know one of your questions is, how, what makes you hang on to keep going for your dream? And mm -hmm. what's made you stay with it? And it is sitting in the rocking chair at the end of your life saying, did I use my gifts? Was there anything that I kept getting the tap on the shoulder about that I just kept looking the other way and ignored? I want to hear that. Right? <laughs> is there anything that I have a doubt about what I did or didn't do? Mm. And that is my why. I mean, it, when I really get into details, I'll, I get choked up, right? The why has to make you cry, right? right. Remember that? The why has to make you yep. cry. Your why should make you cry. Um, so I don't love that it's kind of a negative fear-based, but the pit in my stomach, I, I also talk to my women about, I want you to feel your stuff. So mm -hmm. it's, so try like digging to your why. You've seen seven levels deep. Uh, no, actually. Oh, it's so great. It's really okay. popular. I don't know who to give credit to because it's there's a lot of thought leaders that put this out there. Okay. So when women say, okay, I want to lose weight. Okay, tell me why that's important to you. Well, I want to look good in my bathing suit. Why I is that important? I feel good to you? about myself when I look in the mirror. Yeah. And, okay. okay, that's better than the bathing suit. Okay, so why is that important to you? Keep going. Because I don't want to lose my partner because... I don't, Why don't you want to lose your partner? Why is that important to you? I mean, it seems well, really I don't want to be alone. Um, I don't want them to cheat on me. I... So why is not being alone important to you? Because I like loving, because I like having a partner, because when things get rough, it's nice to have somebody that you know you can turn to, that you can rely on, that can help you, that can just be a shoulder or a confidant when things suck. Okay, put that in one sentence for me. Why is that important? What's at the very bottom underneath all that? Underneath not wanting to be alone? Yeah, and all the things. Love. Want to know that I'm loved for who I am, unconditionally. Does that give you a little lump? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, so I love the seven levels deep. I tell them if you, if you haven't, if you don't get to the lump in your throat or the eyes tear up you're a little bit. Mm -hmm. So when I think about the rocking chair moment for me, I was with my dad when we went into the radiologist's office to see if they could just, he was, he, they just, he said, okay, Robin, I'll, I'll get radio, uh, what do you call it? Radiation. Mm -hmm. If, if that'll work, do the trick on my lung, I'll do it. I'm not doing chemo. I said, dad, that's fine. That's great. We go in there and the doctor says, I'm sorry, Hank, that's not even the discussion now, but the cancer's moved to your liver. And even though my dad thought he was ready and we had had 10 years of mourning him really, cause he just, he played a lot of roulette. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so loved my dad, but I don't know how his body kept doing it. The doctor looked at him and my dad thought he was ready. 
and the look in his eye. And it was just like, there's no do-overs. And he was gone a week later. Mm. So I know that affects me in my why and thinking about the last moments too. I don't want to think, oh, we don't, we never know how much time we have, right? So that that's- Coming from someone who died when they were 18. Yeah. yeah. Um, we have no idea whether we get tomorrow or another 20 or 40 years. Yeah. So No, so true. But I, I just think about that, those kind of moments and they, they work for me. It's like, just keep showing up, just keep showing up. <laughs> What different stories have you heard from your clientele? What different um, thought processes and paradigms have you had to experience or gotten to experience with obviously not naming names, but mm -hmm. some interesting stories and anecdotes? A, a recent client, and she doesn't even, she didn't even come up any, nothing about weight loss, nothing about exercise. She's got all that handled. And she was in, she's in transition and she says, you know what? I'm just, I just want more. I want to evolve. I want, I want something more. And we just started playing in these conversations, but she said what attracted her to what made her make the phone call was I posted in my private Facebook group uh, about three days after new year's that new year's Eve morning, I came out and I told my husband, I am going to get a tattoo because I'm going to stop drinking. I don't want wine anymore and I'm ready. And I'm going to announce it and I'm going to make this a big thing, you know, and she read that. And within the first, probably it was the second session, she fessed up that what got her to call me was that hmm. because she's been, she wanted to quit vaping. Okay. And she said, it's, it's something that a lot of people don't know about me. So it felt secretive and things like that. And she's an amazing woman. Like she's so open and so ready to do the changes and, she, and for her to just come out with that. And then, um, so she was working on it and then got a little distracted. So we made it, she was making a different goal and I really try to meet people where they are. So I just thought, well, I don't want her to, to complete with me without readdressing that. Like okay. I, I got to check back in. Right. When I checked back in, she said, thank you for pushing me. Yes, it is still important. And yes, I, I really, truly want to really address it this time. So what, what she says that she's really getting out of it is she's seeing herself as a different person. But I had to say, you know, what would the person that doesn't like to vape anymore? What would she think? What would she feel? How would she show up? Um, what, what would she do on her breaks at work other than that? And just, we just played back and forth a lot. So I don't ever tell people what to do. Um, I do some accountability depending on the client, but it's more about helping them explore what they want and just reminding them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And just saying, this is, if, is this still important to you? Right. Chris Widener says all the time, you know, people need to be reminded a lot more than they need to be instructed. Right. <laughs> For ourselves even. Yeah. Yeah. Why do we teach what we teach? Cause we want to learn it ourselves or be reminded or stay the course. I liked what you talked about how you are a cheerleader and an advocate for your clients. Mm -hmm. You know, Les Brown talks about a lot of times people need to believe in your belief in them until their belief kicks in. So how does that play into um, the role of transformation? Uh, how does your belief and promoting of a person, your confidence in their ability to do it, as well as their social network, whether they mm -hmm. go home to a spouse that believes in them, like how does the, the belief that we the, we give unto others mm -hmm. help facilitate their transformation in your experience level. A lot of that. So we heard it a lot 
I keep going back to that, but we become who we hang around, right? right? So if clients will commit, I, and I, I will do three month coaching, but I really prefer six month or a year because it, it does. It just, we all need to have that positive input all the time. Paradigms take a while to they, reprogram. They do. And it depends on the client. So if they are somebody that is committed to the personal development and keeping good stuff going in all the time, which I will handpick stuff for people going, this reminded me of you. I was watching it yesterday. I think nice. you'll like it. This is why. So it's very personal what I send to whoever. Um, but the, the cheerleader support part is I have to believe because I've been around not some from coaching and some from just what I listen to all the time. I have decided to accept that I'm enough. I have decided to accept that I'm good and people want to want to work with me. All the things that we need to think to become the person that we want to show up as. I've really made a decision that I am going to believe these good things about myself. So I have to believe that me helping these women with what I believe about them, if they hear it enough, that it starts to make a difference, which it does. Do you have two stories, like two examples? Uh, one example of somebody that you worked with that, you know, you're, you're delving onto them all this immense mm. positivity and belief and enthusiasm about their ability to do it. And then they go home to a spouse who also believes them, uh, their social network also supports them and, and encourages them. And conversely, another story of, you know, what it's like to not have that support. Like they leave your office or your tutelage under your counseling, mm -hmm. and then they go home to an environment that's less positive or even negative and what that's like. Okay. So the, the one that's the hardest, but I feel so excited that I get to work with, I'm volunteering at the Genesis house. Mm. So these are moms, single moms that are basically getting a second chance. Okay. And I go in and it's just, it's, it, it's so much fun. Cause it's like a group coaching and they never know what to expect. And it, it, there's never a plan. I mean, I might have a worksheet that'll trigger some, you know, what are your wins? We always start with wins, but that's tough because of where they've come from. Uh, and that they're still exposed to a lot of this, not to, they have really great guidelines and rules. And so the whole project is, program. I'm going to call it a program. The, right. the program for them is so golden, but the challenge is because of family, maybe, um, I won't say that specifically true for each one, but you know, family, Often. yeah, family, where they've been, just all their individual situations make it really hard. I see them once a week for one hour and I don't give them homework. They have a lot of things they're responsible for. So but I think the combination of working with all the volunteers that we all bring something different and they're going back to school and all those things, it can help, but I don't have an answer for, I don't know what it's going to look like yet. It's been a year and I can see the ones that have come along are definitely the ones that are the, the most open, right? Um, the most open to change. And, but there's different levels of belief in themselves too, even that I keep telling them ladies with what you've come through, Brian, your math your math addiction stuff is mm -hmm. when I meet anyone that's come through that, I'm just like, do you know, the success rate of that is so low. And it's, right. you know, if you do, if you can do that, you can do anything. Mm -hmm. So I think that's the toughest. Um, I can think of a client that what we uncovered, because one of the things I really try to work with women on is if you don't slow down, if your life is super chaotic and you don't have time to breathe, 
there's how do you how do you check in with yourself right how do you get more aware of your thoughts and why you're behaving when you're at the fridge and you don't know to stop and pause and go oh wait am i even hungry or what am i thinking right now what do i really need right now if you're if you're too busy to even go there those are the ones that are the most challenging for me yeah and how do you listen to that guidance how do you tap into the intuition which is the North star for all of us oh, if like you're, to start to pause. Yeah. If you're going a million miles an hour and you never take a minute to listen, to be still, to have that quiet, how do you tap into your intuition to even know how to respond or react to a situation? That that's, that's a, a, huge a really challenge. great question. Okay, Brian, because that's kind of how I measure sometimes too, how serious, not serious. That's not fair. How hmm. ready someone is for change, because if they, are not willing to go through their schedule and even, you know, no, it's not going to be from today to tomorrow, but if we look at it now, what can we change that can allow you more time for yourself? Mm. What can we change that will help you with boundaries that teach you to say, I love you, but that won't work for me. Right. So that that's big, especially with women and especially the type of woman that maybe her worthiness comes from doing for others all the time. There's a lot of big hearts that get in trouble with that. They yeah, think that it's caregiver, selfish. That caregiver thing, their whole sense of self-worth is only established by their ability to help others. Yes. And people pleasing. I mean, I've, I've done it all and I'm, yeah. it's, it's a, I'm a work in progress. It's, it's, um, but learning, you talked a lot about other people's opinions a little bit ago. And I think that's one of the things that get in people's way the most is what will people think? What if I fail? What are all those defeating thoughts that one of my biggest things I do try to work with women on is letting go of that. And I'm very clear. It's not that we don't care what other people think. We just don't let it get in the way of what our true values are and what, what our real needs are. And most importantly, not to allow it to change how we think about ourselves. Yes. Okay. I you love know? that you brought that up because what you said earlier about other people thinking I'm weak and I'm small, and this is what they say to me or say about me. How do you let go of that? Right. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think the only way to do that is to start doing inner work and thought, thought work, right? Catch it, get it in. And if we don't slow down enough to be aware enough of when those thoughts are happening, we don't know when to, how to stop them. May I share, I know you're the expert. May I share something that helped me immensely? Oh, yes. So for years I battled with not, I call it INGE, the I'm not good enough disease mm -hmm. and feeling unworthy of love. And there were days that I would literally out loud or internally say, I love myself. I love myself. I love myself 10,000 times a day. It was literally running constant just to keep myself, just keep pushing the pump, just to keep myself at a level where I wouldn't self-harm, where I wouldn't do something bad to me because I was that close. I was tiptoeing the precipice of suicide and, and doing harmful things to myself. So all day long, it was this, I love myself. I love myself. I love myself. I love myself. And it was exhausting and completely ineffective. Like it kept me from doing something, but it never changed the paradigm. Mm -hmm. And eventually I'm, I, I've done, you know, early childhood regression. I've done psychotherapy, talk therapy. I've done EMDR and through EMDR, I arrived at a conclusion. Mm. The thing that helped me the most was when I had a itty bitty shitty committee whispering poison into my ear and saying things that 
I actually believed about myself because those are the ones that hurt the worst, right? Right, right. right. Um, I would stop and ask myself, how would I feel and how would I respond if I did believe or didn't believe? Like if my thought process was I'm unlovable, I would stop and say, how would I feel and how would I respond if I did believe I was lovable? Because that I love myself, I love myself, I love myself never worked. And the reason it never worked is because this little guy was like, no, you don't, no, you don't, no, you don't, no, you don't. Every time I said something, there was this teeter-totter back and forth tug of war thing. When you say something that you don't actually believe about yourself, cognitive dissonance kicks in. Six pack abs. Six pack abs. I'm wealthy. I'm rich. I'm attractive. I'm smart. I'm funny. People like me, whatever. There's always that cognitive dissonance. And it would always pull the rope back away from where I was trying to go. Mm-hmm. The nice thing about the, how would I feel and how would I respond if thought process was it gave me an opportunity to imagine. Mm-hmm. And you're talking about, okay, see yourself as something different and how important that is like baby incremental mm-hmm. steps. Okay. Maybe you're not going to be 110 pounds next week, but maybe you can be 150 pounds next week, whatever, like the small incremental growth, mm-hmm. the imagination eliminated the co- cognitive dissonance. So I would say, how would you feel if you did believe you were lovable? Mm-hmm. And that guy would say, but you don't believe, I know, I, I know you don't believe you're lovable, but if you were, but if you did believe mm-hmm. you were lovable, how would you feel? Well, I would probably, I don't, I don't love myself, but if I did hypothetically, I probably wouldn't take that personally. Okay. How would you respond if you weren't taking that personally and you did feel you were lovable? I would probably have a little bit more compassion. I would probably have a little bit more patience. I probably wouldn't get so frustrated and angry. And I probably would alleviate a lot of shame and guilt so that how would I feel and how would I respond if question open the door to my imagination to fill in the blank without the cognitive dissonance saying, shut up, you're wrong. You're a liar. Shut up. That's why questions are so good. Right. Right. I mean, our, our answers are only as good as our questions. Absolutely. So that's really cool, Brian. Learn to ask a different question. Mm -hmm. Um, You started off early in the conversation talking about the catastrophic nature of shame and guilt. Let's Mm. Because I know that runs through all of us. Gender is irrelevant. Background is irrelevant. On some level, all of us feel shame and guilt about something. So human. So you do you follow Brene Brown? Oh, yes. Okay. So the shame in a Petri dish is really mm. good. But what I really want to talk about is that that helped me. So back when I was at Gloria Stevens Figure Salon, it wasn't long after I started working there. I started a six-week program. I was approached quickly. I think it was just, I just moved pretty naturally, I guess. One of the girls said, have you ever thought about teaching? And as scared as I was to take that job, I was scared. And I felt so unworthy so unworthy but why I, should anyone listen to me right like i'm i talk about imposters yeah okay. right yes so but that was the first time ever in my life that i that when i did something that i was really scared of it was the biggest blessing ever hmm. and I, okay. you know so tell but, us the story take us back okay so so i stay you know i i, I said yes really quickly 
And then I found out what was involved. And I was like, oh my goodness. So the take a leap and grow your wings on the way down yeah, type yeah, of thing. Yeah, okay. yeah. And the time so you said I, yes. Yes, said yes. And one of the first things that happened for me is I thought, I cannot, we have these little teeny tiny chat rooms and I'm 18 going in, talking to these six, sometimes 50, 60, 70 year old women about their food. Mm. Like we had guidance of what we, what we were doing, but I quickly, quickly said, I cannot look these women in the eye. Mm. If they're trying to toe the line, they can't lose weight and I'm throwing up my food. So when I was there, actually to back up, when I started the six week program, I was at this place where I was not better. My behavior still would pop in every once in a while. I wasn't full out like I was, in, you know, when I left high school. Um, so I, I was just because of circumstances where I lived in the dorm with these other roommates, there were just things around that helped me get out of behavior. But that was one of the biggest things is integrity wise. I'm like, I can't do this. I, and I think that's why I took the job. I know that's why I took the job. I knew I needed to heal and I'm going, if I'm leading the way, I have to be bigger than and better than what I'm doing right now. So that so it sounds like a soul contract type of thing. Oh, like I love that, Brian. Yes. Like your intuition, your higher self prompted you to say yes, yes even though you weren't ready or lacked the integrity to actually be a teacher and a, a guide for these that's, other people. Thank you. That's perfect. Okay. That is so perfect. So what happened? Because I do. I remember talking. the feeling. So yeah. So I ended up just hanging up my picture. Well, first of all, when I was bulimic, it was the heaviest I ever got. And that was probably, I probably have lost only 35 pounds over time. Like I was never a big person. Of course I thought I was, but I got puffy and toxic. It was nasty. Okay. And to be totally transparent, I was smoking pot, you know, before I started. Before it was legal. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. I mean, I was a hot mess. Yeah. <laughs> I was a hot mess. So that's a bad combination of bulimic hothead. Right. It's bad. You smoke weed, you get the munchies <laughs> and you're like, crap, what have I just done? Exactly. Okay. And then you multiply it with all the head trash. Right. So, um, so being in there, I, I just started, I hung some pictures and where, cause I really got tired of women saying, oh, you just don't understand. Mm. So before I came out with it, it was like, oh, if you only knew, I understand. All right. You know, like I, that's the one thing I still tell women when they say, but you've never been really heavy or you never, I said, yeah, look, look at you, you're so skinny and pretty. Yeah. You don't get it. They, yeah. I said, you know what? I know what it's like to hate my body. I know what it's like to be addicted to food. And I know what the self-loathing is about you're a bad person because you, you were hiding out with these things. Mm. And we'll circle back to shame because that's all that was. That was so shameful. It was dirty. It was gross. It was, it was shame riddled with it. So by coming out with it, this is where I was going owning our story. That's the most free I've ever been. And I knew the minute I started telling people about it, that I was better, that I was getting better. That you're on the yeah. path to actual healing. Yeah. Not just subverting or right. layering. Yeah. It's yeah. like, no, I'm not going to say it. I'm too proud. Mm -hmm. <laughs> just like in January when I decided to quit drinking and put this tattoo on my body and told my little private Facebook group, I'm like, you know what? I'm not I'm joking around here. This is a decision. Decide, cut it off. Right. So owning your story, just like my wine, I never hid that. I've, I've always told people because of the bulimia, I don't ever want to be in a black hole again where you're hiding out. What if somebody found out and that what's weird, I don't know if you went through this, but I was like, I want to get busted. Like as, mm. as, as humiliated as, as I would be, if I was throwing up in the bathroom and somebody came in, 
because you thought that that shame would be a, the catalyst oh, to yeah. healing. So a well, part of I, you wanted to be Yeah, I was, I was so desperate to get help. And I'm like, oh, no, if I, I'm going to have to go away and then everybody's going to know or, you know, it was mm -hmm. one of those. So I think that's. So you're hoping for the universe to intervene to push you in the direction yeah. you needed to go. Yeah. But you had to take that step on your own. Yeah. And, it, and the best part is owning it. It's, it was so fun. I mean, and not fun, but now it is. Yeah, not through the muck of it when mm -hmm. you're going through it. But so go back to what it was like coaching those women and having this unsaid um, darkness, this unsaid history that you didn't feel uh, confident enough to share and the shame of that incongruity and how that moved you towards what you actually ended up I don't think I don't have a timeline, Brian, but I don't think it was very long into it. Mm. I don't I don't think it was very long into it because and like I said, I was on the healing end of it. Mm. I mean, the psychological and being confident I was done or Out, fixed, outwardly, right? yeah. fixed um, that that came. That was a long time before that felt that secure. But I just remember the freedom once I put it out there. Okay. It was, it was so big. And that's why I want women to say, I want them to go through their story going, okay, so, you know, I mean, I do compassion for sure, but I, I want to normalize as much as I can for women, whatever they've been through. You know what? You're human. You did the best you could with what you had. I mean, my mom committed suicide when I was 10. I look mm -hmm. back to that girl in high school that was bulimic and a hot mess and trying to escape. And I'm like, well, honey, I'm sorry. No wonder you were like that. Right. <laughs> you know, I don't, I never blamed it on anything. Mm -hmm. I, but looking back, I have a lot more compassion for myself and going, you know, who knows why, but, but I had a lot going on. So why does shame and guilt keep people stuck in your experience, in the people that you've worked with, and obviously in all of your coaching and learning over the years, uh, why do you think this shame and guilt keep people perpetually in that Mobius strip? The first one I think is because it keeps us hiding out. Mm. And as long as we're not going to look at it, we're not going to fix it. Right. And I don't mean fix us, but fix it, whatever our, our issues or whatever's happening. I think the hiding out, I mean, that, I will say that boldly. I think that's the number one thing. Why? Uh, why, why does hiding, why does keeping it in the dark and hiding that story perpetuate the behavior? Oh, uh, thought loops. Right? Okay. Uh, you beat yourself up. You say all these things about yourself and that's how you're going to behave and that's how you're going to show up. And those are your results. And then it just keeps going. Right. Going back to what we were talking about earlier, it's impossible to see a better version of ourselves if we continue to live in that shame and the mm -hmm. guilt and beat ourselves up over mm -hmm. the behavior. Mm -hmm. All right. I have Brene's uh, quote handy. Perfect. Okay. Yes, please. Because it's the shame one. It's the Petri dish one. Um, and it's so good. Okay. No glasses. All right. If you put shame in a Petri dish and cover it with judgment, silence, and secrecy, you've created the perfect environment for shame to grow until it makes its way into every corner and crevice of your life. I'm here to confirm that. <laughs> If, on the other hand, you put shame in a Petri dish and douse it with empathy, shame loses its power and begins to wither. Empathy creates a hostile environment for shame, an, envi an environment it can't survive in because shame needs you to believe you're alone and it's just you. And when you believe that you're alone and it's just you, the problem seems insurmountable. It does. 
right? And no amount of others' belief in us can ever counterbalance mm -hmm. that negativity. And that's why if we can normalize it for, just like if you were going to talk to drug addicts and they still are just so ashamed of what they've been through or what they've done or what they've created for their family or whatever, um, you would say, you know what? You're human. That's, that's your story. That's what you did. You're, you're working through it. You're on the other side and try to get them into self-forgiveness right. because that's self-forgiveness and self-love is, has saved my life. <laughs> my men, I should say my sanity. Probably your life. Mm -hmm. Definitely mine. It's also really important to question how we identify because when we identify as something, mm. we put a lid on our box. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I said earlier on, I don't know if anybody caught it, is that I never identified as, as an addict. It was a behavior. No, that's, it I, was something that I, I did, but not You're somebody right. that I was. So in conjunction with being living loud and sharing our truth, um, being honest about what we're, what our struggles are in conjunction with not identifying as a thing. Um, it offers the opportunity for potential. That's that really good. Brian. We can still yeah. see that possibility for a better version of ourselves. Mm -hmm. When we identify as something, if I were to identify as a drug addict and said, I'm an addict, that's all I would ever be. Mm -hmm. No, I get, I get what it you're puts saying. a lid on our box. Mm -hmm. And I used no to potential. say I was, I had, I was a bulimic, right? You know, I said, I, you know, I had an eating disorder. I had bulimia. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, that that's, a that's a really good, that's a really good catch. Thank you. Um, because it's true. If the key to transformation and changing our patterns and therefore our behaviors in order to reach what it is that we want in life is seeing potential. Mm -hmm. having that, that vision and that belief that something better is out there. Mm -hmm. We have to do the things that help facilitate that taking the lid off of the box and not identifying as th some things, getting around people that believe in us as much as, mm -hmm. or more than we believe in ourselves. And what was the third one we just talked about? Uh, we both, I don't know, but what I was going to just say, oh, uh, alleviating oh. shame and guilt. Oh yeah. That's the living, big one. living, living loud. Mm -hmm. and sharing our authenticity. Like mm -hmm. Maya Angelou said, I would rather earn sincere enemies mm -hmm. than false friends. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I often talk about in my podcast and my speeches, the, the poem that changed my life was written on my high school band locker. Yeah, band was super cool. Chicks dig clarinet players. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Are you identifying as a clarinet player? Nope. That was a behavior. <laughs> Not an identity. Um, no, so in my high school, we would have known that at that age, right? Right. In my high school band locker, there was a poem that said, "I was here, but now I'm gone. I left my name to carry on. Those who knew me knew me well, and those who don't can." And it was dot dot dot, like it didn't finish the sentence. But later on, very much later in my life, I came to realize that what that meant was, the people who know me know the real me. Mm -hmm. The people who love me see the real me. Mm -hmm. They love me for who I am. Those who know me know me well, and those who don't, who cares? Mm -hmm. Like those, that's so true. Doesn't matter what the, the people who don't really know us and are going to judge us based off of the five percent that they meet on Twitter yeah. or in the grocery store or whatever. Who, who cares? Yeah, the OPOs, other people's opinions. We are about to jump <laughs> on to our live stream and do the Facebook Live deal. Um, what is 
one inoculation? What is one piece of wisdom? I know it's really hard to come up with mm. one and we've already shared mm -hmm. dozens here, but what would you say is the, the most important life lesson that you've learned so far? This has been something I kind of came up with recently that I'm sharing. And at first it could come across selfish. Okay. But it's not about that. It's because I think it's just the opposite really. But I say, if you can learn to love yourself so much that everyone else's love is like the cherry on top, mm. it's a really cool place to be. That's, I feel like I've, I'm getting there more and more, the more I understand me and looking back at, I'll just say this, how needy I felt for other people to complete me or what I needed to validate. be validate. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and I think as humans, we still get tangled in that a little bit, but I am, I do so much better with my husband, letting him be him and saying, you know, I've got my own back and he is just, he's just the gift. And he does, it, 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 it doesn't, it's just different. And I don't mean that in a way of, I don't need anybody, not at all. Uh, you know me. Of course. <laughs> I love my peeps. Um, but it's just been a big lesson for, my, for me. Um, I found out probably five years ago, laying on a massage table that uh, in, my, in my home, laying under lights, trying to help my neck. And I was listening to a podcast with Judith Orloff. Do you know who she is? Mm -mm. Psychiatrist. And I think she was the guest because I don't remember how I found the podcast, but usually I'm listening to stuff and they suggest somebody. So I tune in. Anyway, I'm laying there and she starts talking about highly sensitive people and empaths, HSP, which yep. at the time I did not know there was a name for it. Mm. Brian, I had tears rolling down my face, down the sides. I was yeah. laying down and I just... It was just a beautiful moment because I'm like, there's a name for it. There's nothing wrong with me. There's right. a name for this because all my life I had been told, you're too much. I shouldn't say it like it came at me a lot. I believed it it's once I heard up. it. Mm -hmm. Yep. You're too much. You're too sensitive. You know, you did it. And that day helped me a lot because I said, you know what? She's even saying it's a damn gift. Right. <laughs> and I decided to accept that that Own day. Mm-hmm. And it, it changed a lot for me because I'm going, I don't have to apologize for who I am in any way. People don't have to love me or like me. I, I can do this myself and then take the people that do love me. And then that's just the wrapping, you yeah. know, on we can gift. be better versions of ourselves, but we don't ever have to degrade ourselves. Yeah. But it, that, that was a really big marker. And that was not, I, I would say four years ago, maybe five at the longest. So, so that was pretty big. I don't know how I got off on that. I love it. Well, we're about to be late for our live stream. Why don't you tell our audience how they can find you and what events and things that you have coming up? Because I know you've got a program and Thank if you. people want to get in touch with you, how do they find Thank you? you. Uh, best way is robinmcintyre.com. And there's, they're all I's, R-O-B-I-N-M-C-I-N-T-I-R-E. No Y's. You spelled it right, I think. on my website as well and one-on-one -on -one coaching or group coaching would love to visit with you but i would love people to especially sorry this is a woman's thing i know is that okay it's my my your area of expertise it's the people who gravitate to you most yeah so yeah i wouldn't let guys come on the retreat 
and and they also understandably and also my private facebook group is women and it's i just i just call it better thoughts equal better health so we talk about all kinds of things well if we want people to live loud and mm. to share their authenticity ultimately that has to start with a, a safe space oh, so thank you. you yes you need you need not apologize for thank you for that Brian, exclusivity thank it's, you that's what you do to create the safe space for your clients and the people that you work with so that they can receive the transformation that they need so thank you Brian. that's nicely put thanks buddy <laughs> we'll talk to you soon we'll be right back join us on our live stream share this with your friends come to our events July 10th at Sylvandale. Find us on Facebook. I love you all. Talk to you soon. Take care. Thank you so much for listening to today's interview. I hope there's something in there that inspired you. I hope you're feeling empowered and awed and something spoke to your soul and resonated with your heart. If you're interested in contacting today's guest, please check the show notes, follow him on Facebook, or send him an email. As always, please subscribe, rate, and review, and share this podcast with anybody that you know that might benefit from its message. This has been BC from The World Empowered, wishing you the very best. I love you all. Thank you. Have a wonderful day.